mindfulness mode. You've probably missed one or two moments along the path because we get so focused on what could be or what was. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, today we're going to be talking about crisis. We're going to be talking about leadership. We're going to be talking about transformation, all kinds of aspects of wellness. And that's because I have someone here with 30 years of experience in crisis intervention and leadership, and he teaches culture transformation. I have John Robertson with me today. Hey, John, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you, Bruce. Oh, I am so excited to have you on the show. And, and, uh, before we move on, I'll just share a little bit more about your bio. He's a workforce wellness and culture alignment specialist working in the field of leadership. And he provides guidance to develop a values anchored framework based on trust and mindful centered communication. So John, we'll talk about a lot of details about your expertise, but what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, I think it's, for me, it, it, um, well, let me peel it away. Rather than getting into the big philosophical, I cannot find my way through my storm if I am not focused on what I need to do in this moment. And so what is mindfulness? It is that, whether you call it innate, instinct, intuition, training, mentor that allows me to stay focused in the moment so that I don't either react or, well, you know, all the other things that normal humans do. Yes. Well, when you say you work in values anchored work, let's talk about the values that are important to you when you, when you teach this. First of all, uh, there's two pieces. One is it's not destination to me that matters. It's direction. Because so many times we want to get to that place. When Bruce, I can guarantee you, if you've taken a trip or whatever holiday with your family, the story isn't about where you went and the destination. The story is about getting there and what you did while you were there. And so values anchored is, okay, what are those things in our lives that we're going to pivot around? Hence an anchor. The other visual, but I didn't know how to word it that way, was tetherball. What are those things that we want to pivot around, swing around, so that we're not way off course? Well, I didn't ask you this really yet but what does mindfulness mean to you you already kind of told us a little bit about what it means to you but answer that question for us what does mindfulness mean to me it it means that i am able to find my way to be in the moment to to determine or to be reminded of what matters to me so that when i'm dealing with opposition or uncertainty or vagueness i don't know if that's a word but you know we're living in an incredible time right now 
of all these storms that are going on, uncertainty to name some. Well, I can't be healthy. I can't make my best decisions. I can't make values-based decisions, values-anchored, anything. If I'm not mindful of, okay, how do I be centered? What am I in control of? What are the things I need to do for my well-being? So you've worked a lot in crisis intervention. Can you tell us specifically uh, what that work was like and, and some of the experiences that you've had? Uh, first of all, the one thing that I think we do so much harm is people think the event is the crisis. The event is never the real crisis, never. And the first thing in crisis intervention, we have to stop deciding, if you will, well, is this, this isn't really a big crisis. Well, maybe it's not for, for me or you, but it is for them. Mm -hmm. And so most people focus on the really big things, you know, death by suicide, a horrible mul multiple death, motor vehicle collision, but we forget the little things. I don't know if you folks have ever had an animal, but yes. a huge, huge loss for us, Bruce, and just by you nodding, was our dog. Like, oh, yeah. And, you know, it was the December 27th. So we kept McGraw. This sounds really cold, but we kept him alive. So we didn't put him. He was an older dog, but we didn't put him down right before Christmas. Yeah. But the 27th. What a horrible way to spend the rest of Christmas holidays. And I know people who would say it was just a dog. Not well, to my family. No, and not to me either. I know that when uh, Sadie passed away in June of 2019, man, like our home was never the same again. You know, the, it just completely changed the dynamic in our home because Big she time. was so alive and so excited and so much fun. And, and the, the dynamic just totally changed that instant. Yes, it sure does. And so when the event is never the real crisis, then, then part of what we have to do, and I actually illustrated as the teabag effect or the teabag principle. Mm -hmm. If we want to find out what's important to a person, put them in hot water because what's inside always leaks out. And that principle applies for an organization too. Mm -hmm. and, and so what is crisis intervention? Some of the things that leak out of an organization or a person are not the things they wanted. You know, I've been at a motor vehicle collision where a, psych, a bicycle person was killed and the first question that got asked was, is there much damage to the vehicle? Wow. Yeah, there's a little different definition for me of what values really matter here. Mm -hmm. And so, and, you know, playing into one of your other hats, if we look at bullying, you know, being bullied might be whatever, Teflon for one person, water off a duck's back. The exact same words, the exact same emotions, the exact same behaviors to a different person might have an entirely different impact. 
And it's not right or wrong, good or bad. That would be really nice if it was that simple. Right. And, and I think Bruce, that's part of why your mindfulness or the, the bullying theme, the undercurrent of that is so important because too often we get caught up in, okay, well, that's not really that significant. Well, the event is never the crisis. Let's love people where they are, but love them too much to leave them there. Yes. So what are some of the organizations you've worked for, John? School boards. Um, the, the, I don't know what we call it today, but it's the junior young people's sports associations. So competitive soccer, competitive hockey, some of those types. Mm-hmm. Uh, government organizations, first responders, mines, First Nations or Indigenous communities, so a very eclectic group. John, have you always worked in Canada or have you done a lot of international work as well? Actually, I've never done international work. I'm a firm believer that people need to understand where we live is not the real world. The stuff that we are entitled to, so many people around the world couldn't even dream of having it. So all three of our children have had international experience because I wanted mission trips, we would call them. So Rotary and Projects Abroad, and there's a whole bunch of other things, but they've done these mission trips because I wanted them to understand how some people are really living around the world. Be specific. Tell our listeners what is different about living in Canada compared to some other countries. Well, for example, going, tying it back to my work, crisis intervention. If one person does not get an ABCD, a new phone, does not get the new, brand new ABCD phone, going to a different culture, into a different world, they don't even have cell phone, internet, never mind technology to support a phone. So they're drinking out of water that is being used for laundry for septic and a crisis in another culture is while well, I didn't get the new ABCD phone or laptop or whatever. And so you uh, set up opportunities for your children to go to other countries to do some of this uh, work. What specific countries did they go to and what did they, what did they talk about the most when they returned? Um, well, I'm, I'm kind of smirking and you can't see it if this is on the radio, but, but the, uh, our daughter, one of her trips was El Salvador, uh-huh. uh, Peru. And apparently like they have 360 some odd different forms of potatoes. What we didn't know until she came back was she has a potato allergy. Yeah. So apparently our vitamins are wrapped in like a potato type skin. It's a natural. So she couldn't take vitamins and she's in this country eating 360 whatever versions of potatoes. She came back. Well, let's just say she came back with some health stuff that needed to get rectified, clarified and fixed up. 
So El Salvador, Peru, uh, another son's been through parts of Europe. So uh, there's been a variety of different contexts. And the key has always been for me, work in a place where there's a continuum of care. Don't go in and do a two-week trip because when we leave after a two-week trip, that actually makes the quote-unquote missionary feel better, may not actually help the recipient. Right. And so coming back, the values collisions that happen because when people come back from having a different culture world experience, what can actually happen is they don't know how to really establish rapport because they're so different. Uh, let me take this out of this international and let me put it into our personal family. I have a niece right now who's been battling terminal cancer for ballpark 12, 14 years. And so you take a person who is, there's a big children's hospital in Toronto who has been doing Toronto Sick Kids runs, radiation, chemo, experimental, all the other things that a child cancer terminal to fight for her life. Does gene type or nail polish color really matter? And so here she is dealing with, back to your theme, but here she is with that sentiment, and it may not be overt bullying, mm -hmm. but we would call it peer pressure. Adults don't like to say they deal with peer pressure, but what they have is keeping up with the Jones. Mm -hmm. But what's keeping up with the Jones is, is peer pressure is a form of bullying. And, and for my niece, gene type, nail polish, some of those things that people get all, what is the old expression? Knickers in the knot about. Yeah. Just really don't matter. Our, we're also dealing with not nearly as severe, but on the other side of that continuum, our son has been in New Zealand at teacher's college through this pandemic so far. Yes. Uh, the prime minister, I can never remember her name, but the prime minister has provided incredible leadership to New Zealand. So they don't have any coronavirus. They don't have any COVID-19 to speak of. Very little. Very little. He's coming back from that culture where he has been doing everything like we were doing last October, September. He's coming back into our culture and he's going to have some reframing, defining a new norm. That whole, it, it will be crisis intervention of a different form because, you know, wearing a mask into a store. I don't know what it's like where you're living, Bruce, but that's yeah. not an option where we live. No, it's not an option here either. Well, he's not wearing one right now. And he hasn't, well, they had a couple lockdowns, but he really hasn't been dealing with any of those, you know, don't socialize, don't get together with large groups of, and he's in that 20 age bracket, 20 something mm -hmm. age bracket that I think are getting picked on. But, but at the end of the day, there is no understanding of those different norms, like a 60, 70, 80 year old who gets just 
pneumonia will have a very different impact than a 20 something who gets pneumonia. For sure. And, and for me, this is where the whole theme of mindfulness of how do we deal with and, and bullying can be very subjective to make it more objective. How do we deal with those forces, those opinions, perspectives, point of views that are more opposition to us than supportive? And I can spend the rest of my life reacting to them, but that's probably not going to be the healthiest approach. John, you spent quite a number of years as a minister in the United Church of Canada. And uh, I find that very interesting because that's given you a lot of uh, experience to what you do today. Were you ever bullied as a minister? One of the things that, and I'm going to answer your question, I'm just going to answer it indirectly. I sucked my thumb till I was 17, Bruce. Really? So on the continuum of being bullied, being bullied as a clergy pastor minister. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah, I was there, but, but think about anybody in school. And I didn't tell you about sucking thumb because I wanted to catch you without having some prepared script and just, <laughs> and so, yeah, I quit when I was a summer, I was a junior forest ranger. That's the only reason I know how old I was because I was a junior ranger in way up Northern Ontario. Were you and bullied for that too? Sucking my thumb? Yeah. Boy, yeah. You know, even to the point where the school would call my parents and, you know, once I remember mom telling me that, well, you know, Mr. So-and-so called and, oh, okay, what about what? Well, about you sucking your thumb. Okay. Mom, what did you do? Well, he said that if John doesn't stop, he's going to get bullied. And I said, and what did you say? Well, Mr. So-and-so, do you not think that's happening now? And, and so that kind of ended that whole conversation. And why do you think that happened to you? Why do you think you did that until you were 17? You know what? There's a whole bunch of rationale that I could analyze at the end of the day that has been reframed so that it has allowed me to deal with opposition in a way that doesn't always beat me down. I was just going to say, I wonder if that made you a, a person that was more capable of dealing with crisis intervention and a lot of the work that you do. And, and that's why when you asked me about being bullied as a clergy, but you know what? Everybody gets picked on. No matter what they do. No matter what we do. Yeah. And, and I remember one person and he and I are still friends, so it didn't cause a severing of a relationship. But when we went out somewhere, it was always, and this, I'd like to introduce you to the minister, John, which was a really nice way of giving people a heads up to say, be careful. Yes. <laughs> and, and so I, he stopped doing it because what I started to do was, and I'll call him whatever, Tom and his wife, Joanne, it's not their name, but I said, well, thank you, engineer Tom and nurse Joanne. I appreciate that. And, and he kind of looked at me 
what'd you say that for? And I said, well, you call me Minister John, so I'll call you Engineer Tom and Nurse Joanne, and then we'll just introduce each other by titles. Yes, by professions, yes. By profession. And what came out of it was he wasn't even aware he was doing it. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and so for me, it's, yeah, you know what? I had some of those, and why do I deal with culture alignment? Because some of my work over the years of, you know, we're all children who enjoy throwing sand in the sandbox mm. at times. Yes. So whether you call it a workplace, whether you call it a marriage, whether you call it parenting, whether you call it being a child of, of a parent, we all throw sand at times. Yes. Yeah, we do. Hey, Bruce here. I'm interrupting briefly, Mindful Tribe. I'm talking to you. If you've been trying to lose weight or quit smoking, maybe you've just worked and worked and worked on it. Maybe you're feeling it's hopeless and you're discouraged. Well, you might have even tried so many times to make these changes that you're just feeling defeated. Well, I am now trained and qualified in hypnosis and I use mindfulness combined with hypnosis to help you reach your goal. I'm starting a beta test program and the first three people to email me will have the opportunity to participate in this beta program and you'll not only reach your goals, but you'll get one-on-one -on -one help from me for 50% off. I've lost 35 pounds myself since January with the help of hypnosis and it feels like a miracle. I can barely believe how much my thinking has changed. And this is why I'm so passionate about it because it's made a huge difference for me. And if hypnosis has worked so well for me, it can work for you too. Sign up for the beta test, get 50% off the price of the program and a guarantee to go with it. So email me, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com, and we'll get on a free 45-minute call to answer all your questions. Just put beta test in the subject line, and I look forward to talking to you. And now, back to the show. I'm so interested in what you do today with your company, Fortlog, fortlog.co. Where'd you get the name, and what do you do with this company? So... Two things. It is .co on purpose. Yes. Because co is a colleague, a collaborator, a coach. Co is somebody with partnering. And that's, I've chosen that domain on purpose. So Fort Log is, Fort is a safe place in the frontier. We have to have a sense of where we want to go. And a log is a journal to help others sail seas because there's no point going there alone. So how long have you had the company and what do you do within this company? So, so what, I can't remember the business term, but it's, it's the one before incorporated. So sole proprietor or something. Mm -hmm. So about 1999, say 2000, it was sole proprietor business. And, and then in 2011, Fort Log became incorporated. So when it, we first started as sole proprietor, I was ministering in a church, pastoring in a church. And at that time, there was some <clears throat> big things happening. And one of them was downsizing in the tech technology sector. And so there was huge layoffs happening. And there was a company in 
Ottawa area. It was, well, there was actually three big tech companies. And there was a woman, I did a funeral. <clears throat> I emceed a funeral. I, not, I, it wasn't my funeral, but <laughs> I emceed. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. But I am, I led a funeral. And this woman came up to me afterwards and she said, you're very, very good. And it was a, a significant traumatic funeral. Like it wasn't a member of our parish or any uh, church or any of that stuff. And she said, you're very good at helping people deal with this stuff. You should be talking with some of the people I work with. And I said, okay, um, what do you do? Like, who are you? And turned out she was an HR director at one of these big high-tech companies. And what was what had been happening was, and think about the repercussions when you tie it back to mindfulness and just dealing with such a huge wallop. People who were earning really good money in the technology sector, however, the values were, we give our life and our soul you're, we're not working eight hour, 10 hour days We're they were working 14, 16, they were working incredibly long hours. And then these high tech companies say, listen, we've got good news and bad news. We're going to give you some severance, but you're now unemployed. So take somebody who has invested their heart, mind and soul in their work and all of a sudden just kind of flicked off in some ways like a piece of lint and they've lost their identity they've lost their way they they and i heard from numerous numerous people they sold their souls and got rid of their passion as well and they did not even know what they were passionate about anymore John, there will be thousands of people listening to this episode. Who's the one person that would be the best person to be your new client? Somebody, actually, I'm going to tie it right back to the definition of crisis, because that for me is my best client. If we spelled crisis properly, it is spelled with a K, K-R-I-S-I-S. It's Latin. I'm not a linguistic person, but I believe it's Latin. And it is... A crisis is something that you and I already know, Bruce. It's unexpected, unprepared for. It can impact goals. But it's the fourth quality of the K-R-I-S. It is when the old can no longer be maintained and something new must be done. Who is my ideal client? If a person is tired of Groundhog Day or Whack-A-Mole or running a hamster wheel and they want to move into what I call a refinable new norm, something that is gaining focus as they move towards it, individual leader or organizationally. Let me in your boat. Your boat might have leaks in it. That's fine. Let's paddle. I will never be one of those people on shore shouting to a drowning person, swim harder. Like, that's not helpful. No. And, and I mean, you know, like Bruce, let me put this back into your context. And I'm speaking now as a lay person, I do not have your education experience background, but if I want people to stop bullying me and 
I want to have more peace or joy or contentment or uh, serenity or pick any number of those qualities, but I don't want to do the work of mindfulness. I don't want to learn any of those principles and practice them. I want everything else to be different. What would you say to me for something like that? How would you address that for me? Well, I would say you just really need to be a great listener and uh, dig in and, and help that person to move forward based on where they are hoping to go. But if I want everything, and I used an inappropriate word, but so if I want everything around me to be different and I am looking for a magic wand or syllable that I don't want to do my work, is there a lot that you can fix? Well, it's all about mindset. And that's my client. And that's part of why I've enjoyed the conversations that you and I have had, because it does come back to mindset. Yeah. You know, like, wouldn't it be nice if, and as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that's an outright lie, because I don't believe it would be nice if everything was smooth. Right. You know, and I don't know what your family trips have been like, but mine have been, ours have been more like Griswolds, <laughs> you know, and, but when people come back from our trips, my wife or friends or family, we have stories to tell years later. Well, I mean, story like my wife and I finally got an opportunity to go to Jamaica, incredible opportunity. And my wife does not believe in breathing, breathing off of a tank while you're underwater. So that whole scuba thing was not going to happen for her. She's on shore, whatever, reading or whatever she was doing. And she hears the whistles out in the water. And whistles in the water means a diver is in problem, in crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... She's hearing all these whistles and thinking, oh, somebody's having a problem. Wait, John's out there. <laughs> you know. Yes. And, and so the dive master, long story short, we got the, the dive boat got towed in while we were on a different boat. But he's throwing all the scuba gear up on shore and he didn't say a word to any of the people who are on shore waiting for their spouse or partner or family member to come back. So my wife had me pictured dead, buried, body, how's she going to get me back to Canada? And so needless to say, when I did arrive on shore, we had a little bit of crisis intervention just to settle the adrenaline down because that was not a great communication model. But what do we talk about years later? Do you remember that dive trip that you took <laughs> You just about killed me with that. <laughs> yeah, that really, wow, that really would impact you. Holy yeah. crow. Uh, John, on a different subject altogether, I want to ask you, you know, you had your first grandchild back in December of last year. What has having a grandchild taught you about mindfulness and taught you about crisis and, and helping others? For me, it's kind of the amal amalgamation of there are so many things right now that we could be worried about. You know, if my wife works in a school office, 
I'm going into stores or we go into stores. Picture all the things that I could be worried about versus how do I visit and enjoy the moment in a safe way with our granddaughter? Or how does my wife, grandma, enjoy that precious moment? Because I can get all caught up in the stress or angst of all the things that could happen and miss what is happening. And so for me, it's, well, I, I teach a lot of this through what, what is called the serenity prayer. And uh, Reinhold Niebuhr was the author, but most people know it as the AA, Alcoholics Anonymous Prayer. Change what I can, accept what I can't, the wisdom to know the difference. And so in that, those moments, okay, is this something I can change? So, for example, I have allergies. If I'm going to visit our daughter and son-in-law and I'm filled up with allergies, that's probably not going to be received in the best way. But that doesn't mean I have COVID or coronavirus. It, it's normalizing some of those so that I can enjoy the moment because I can, and I can guarantee you, Bruce, in your 29 years of life, that you've probably missed one or two moments along the path because we get so focused on what could be or what was. We definitely do. Yeah, we definitely do. Well, you have a very interesting way of framing things and, uh, it's really great to talk to you. I, as we move forward, I want to ask you, John, five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? My wife. I know that's two words, but has she always been a mindfulness kind of person? She has the most incredible way of being with a person and just literally almost unplugging herself to just be in that moment. It is, well, to say impressive is a huge understatement. And would you say that's just naturally her way or do you think she developed it through a study or a practice? I would say it's kind of E, all of the above. She's also the youngest with three older brothers. So she learned that Sometimes you can't share how you're really feeling. So, John, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? Well, I think for me, part of why, what's the right word? When it comes to dealing with people in crisis, it's pretty simple or easy for me to come in as some distant professional, you know, what they call that... Um, there's a term for it, but it's that veneer, you know, and, and in your history, we all know of people in the classroom school type setting where being a professional is to show no emotion. Yeah. Well, my journey has taught me that sometimes that's the worst thing to show as a professional, no emotion. Yes. You know, sometimes things just stink and there's nothing we can do. Yeah. And, and so for me, there's, I remember 
still remember doing a death notification of a woman. Her son was college and an only child. Her husband had died in the country that she had come from. And she was telling me about her son. And here I am and Bruce, we're trying to walk through all the different things, you know, all the professional checklist stuff. Yeah. And, and all I could think of was this poor woman. And I remember tearing up. And part of my journey is big boys don't cry. So as I'm finding myself tearing up, not for my concerns, but just my heart really ached for her. And it allowed me to be with her. And by the way, it was a newspaper article a couple weeks later that I cut out and showed to my wife because in the newspaper, there was a thank you. And it was written on the worst day of my life, I spent the early morning hours with an angel. And my wife didn't believe it was me at first, but when I connected who that person was with her on the worst day of her life, what did I learn about mindfulness, about being present, about not being cognitive, but not being a, a jellyfish, just to, to own what I'm really experiencing and then addressing my mindset to say, you know what, I can't fix this. So I am going to be with her and just hear her stories. Now, and this is where mindfulness can become a very subjective definition. But for me, mindfulness allows me to be present in that moment with that mindset that says, what is the best thing that I can do right now to help? Yes, good question to ask. John, tell us about breathing and how breathing might be a part of your mindfulness practice. Okay. And this is where my dark humor gets me into problems because anybody listening, do not, do not, do not. If you want me to quote a commandment, I'll give you the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not start smoking. However, I teach deep breathing from the smoking perspective. Okay. Because what smokers do is they do three things that we have to learn. Number one, they take a break. Number two, they are outside with social support. And number three, they're doing deep breathing exercises. And a smoker who might be really stressed as they are exhaling will blow rings. So that even slows the exhale down more. So how does deep breathing fit? It's a smoke break principle. It's okay. And, you know, some people use the triangle. Some people use the square, the triangle being inhale for five, hold for five, exhale for five. Yes. The square being inhale for whatever, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. doesn't matter to me which model gets used. But it's that willingness to take a break, step outside, be with social support, but then do those deep breathing. Inhale, hold, exhale, hold. Just don't inhale tobacco smoke. It just, yeah. <laughs> thank you for refreshing. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, I am not advocating tobacco products at all yeah. <laughs> or any other form of smoking for that matter. Well, thanks for sharing that, John. If you could uh, recommend an app, are there any apps that you're aware of that can help in some way with mindfulness? 
Uh, no, there's not. But I did see a couple things through your website that I would point people back to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the reason I'm having a brain cramp because I remember seeing several great tools through either your site or through links from your site. And that would be the best. And, and I can't even provide the name of your website. What is it, Bruce? Mindfulnessmode.com. So mindfulnessmode.com would be a great tool so that people, because there's a whole bunch of jump off points and even some of the speakers that you've had. Yeah. Yeah, I've been fortunate to interview some amazing people like yourself. And this conversation has really been enlightening and interesting. So, John, I, I just have enjoyed it so much. Mindful Tribe, check out fortlog.co and uh, see everything that John's got to offer there. And, and John, thanks again for being on the show today. Uh, this has been my pleasure. And, and honestly... As there's more and more forces working against people, opposition, if you will, Bruce, I just wanted to say thank you for the work that you're doing, because whether we call it bullying, whether we call it marketing, whether we call it peer pressure, what you're doing is incredible. And especially if we can help younger people realize they don't have to be determined by external forces. Yes, so true. So true. And a lot of times we think we're just trapped and there's nothing we can do because of those external forces. But yeah, thanks so much for mentioning that. Well, you have a great rest of your day and thanks again for being on the show, John. It's been my pleasure and thank you for allowing me to be here. This You're has welcome. been great. Great yeah. chatting with you. Yeah. Bye now. Bye for now. Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening, for subscribing, and for reviewing the show, and for telling your friends about Mindfulness Mode. Thanks also to Erica Flint's Cascade Hypnosis Center for being our valued sponsor. Erica is a terrific teacher of hypnosis, and I know that because I am a graduate of her program. Now, if you're a healer, a coach, a therapist, a counselor, or just someone who loves helping people. You might want to consider the powerful results that can be achieved with hypnosis. You can learn how to do it. Contact the team over at CascadeHypnosisCenter.com and take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.